The year 2022 was marked by three major paradigm shifts. The return of war to mainland Europe, the energy trilemma, and China's longer-term economic growth dynamics have all been outsized drivers of commodity markets. As we move into 2023, much uncertainty remains. To make sense of these seismic shifts and their impact on the key commodities that underpin the energy transition, Wood Mackenzie's Future Facing Commodities Forum returns on March 16th. The event focuses on the outlook for those materials that are key to building our electrified future, such as battery and EV materials, lithium, cobalt, nickel, copper, rare earths, cathode and precursor, graphite, and more. Register now at go.woodmac.com backslash FFCF. We've all seen some pretty scary events during the summers. It's going to be really critical that with this growing electrification that we make these changes. The thing that gives me the most amount of optimism around this is the, really the rate of acceleration. Large organizations are really saying, you know, are, are there things we can do to operate more sustainably? This is The Interchange Recharged. I'm David Bam Miller. The energy transition will put a huge pressure on the grid. To achieve net zero emissions by 2050, annual investment must increase from today's $1 trillion to $4 trillion by 2030. This will fund new technologies such as renewables and storage, but also upgrade the energy grid for transmission and distribution. The technology to propel us through the energy transition already exists. The puzzle to solve is how to use it most efficiently. There's not a one-size-fits-all solution to upgrading the grid, but today we look at the ways data and smart infrastructure can drive efficiencies across the network. Every percentage point increase in energy efficiency or energy reduction moves the needle globally in tackling climate change. Mesa, an initiative from Google's Sidewalk Labs and Wood Mackenzie's Grid Edge are distributed technologies aiming to ensure enough clean electricity goes to the right place. My first guest on the podcast today is Rachel Steinberg, head of Mesa. Rachel, welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about Mesa, what, what your main objective is, what you guys do. Yeah, so Mesa is a product that automates energy savings in commercial buildings. So what that means is there's a mix of sensors and smart devices, but the real smarts of the product are in the automated energy savings kind of optimization engine. So practically what it means is it automates savings on heating, cooling, ventilation, and shared kind of key outlets across buildings. My next guest on the podcast today is Josh Chappell. Josh is head of engineering for the Mesa product, Sidewalk Labs. Josh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What are some of the big challenges that you are seeing with getting some of the buildings up to energy efficiency? I mean, a lot of these buildings, particularly in, in city areas, are, are very old. They're not energy efficient. So obviously, that's going to be a big step forward for the energy transition. So what are some of the challenges that you see in time, in terms of trying to accelerate that uh, energy efficiency with the buildings? So a few years ago, I was having a conversation with a uh, mechanical engineer in our team, and he was saying how every building is a snowflake. Um, and as technologists, we're kind of trained to think that there's a, a, abstractions can exist that can mean you can provide one common solution to kind of a wide variety of buildings. And one of the things that you really kind of have to figure out pretty early is, is 
building a system that kind of intuitively understands that all buildings are a little bit different. And as a byproduct, you have to be kind of smart around how you handle that. You know, machine learning kind of gives us um, an entry into that, saying kind of like, how can we take a, a similar approach to building operations uh, that can save energy across a lot of buildings without a lot of manual upfit. But that's, that's just one of the approaches that, that we're looking at. Also joining us today is Sam Howe, research analyst on Woodmac's Grid Edge team. Sam focuses on building decarbonization and has worked in the industry as an engineer for more than five years. Sam, welcome. Good to be here. So tell us a little bit about Grid Edge. Uh, you know, we were out at the Grid Edge Innovation Summit late last year, and we recorded a number of great episodes uh, with a lot of discussions around emerging technologies. Uh, but what are you working on and what kind of projections do you have for 2023? So our team broadly covers technologies from EV charging infrastructure to virtual power plants to grid modernization. My particular domain is building decarbonization. So I'm really focused on building energy efficiency, building electrification and what that looks like. Um, most recently, we put out a report on residential building electrification using heat pumps, what we think that is going to look like up into 2030. Um, but currently I'm working on projects related to residential and commercial demand flexibility, loads that can be curtailed or shifted to meet the needs of the grid or occupants. For 2023, we can obviously really expect a lot more electrification. The federal government has just released a ton of funding through rebates or tax credits for both homeowners and businesses. More policies have popped up across the country requiring the installation of heat pumps in new construction. 2022 was the second year that heat pump shipments surpassed furnaces by a pretty large margin. As offices contend with a tighter real estate market, they need to be more competitive thanks to work from home. So occupant health and comfort is more important. The pandemic really highlighted the necessity of proper ventilation to reduce airborne infection risk and to increase employee productivity. One estimate I found says that improvements in IAQ can result in an annual return of $800 per employee. So we'll really see this in the next coming years. Rachel, for any kind of the new construction, are there any standardized areas that can help with the energy efficiency going forward? Because it recognizes that each building is a snowflake, but is there something that can be done going forward that's a lot more scalable, that is just kind of adopted and able to ro be rolled out quicker? Well, I think for new construction, it's a lot easier because there are a lot of standards in, you know, in building materials and energy efficiency of the HVAC systems, just generally across the construction. I think a lot of where buildings end up struggling and almost missing out on energy savings opportunities and cost cutting opportunities are in the, you know, retrofit existing building market because they've dealt with like potential standards that may or may not have existed at the different times that they were built. I mean, in terms of overall impact, particularly on the emission side, uh, what can this technology, once adopted, you know, broad scale, what type of impact can that have on the climate? Quite a significant impact. But if we look at the impact on each building, Mesa saves 20% of energy and carbon in a building. And so when you think about that across the building types that we work in, which is mainly the retrofit market, and especially the older, more budget-conscious buildings are roughly 94% of commercial buildings in the U.S., similar numbers in, in many other countries globally. And so when you think about 20% savings across those buildings, it really adds up, and it adds up quite quickly. 
Yeah, I, I was also going to add, I think a, another part of the opportunity is that, you know, buildings, even though they account, like Rachel said, for almost, you know, 40% of, of carbon are often really, really underserved. So in terms of opportunity, like, you know, we, we all understand kind of the transition around to electrification of vehicles, and we kind of understand in the residential context of like, well, what are the strategies we can deploy uh, to reduce carbon, but a lot of commercial buildings for a whole host of reasons, um, you know, just there's been very few, very little actual um, kind of effort paid towards it. So in terms of like, the carbon opportunity, it's, it's actually really, really high because what it means is kind of every percentage point you knock off represents like kind of a, a net new gain for us, which is really exciting. And if you think about the, those buildings, especially, they're always going to be the buildings that most of the occupants aren't managing the energy. So there's quite a lot of wasted energy, roughly 30% of energy in those buildings is wasted because, you know, think about it when you go into your office, you, at the end of the day, you're not like, let me turn everything off. You usually, you know, someone else does it and often it's scheduled and maybe that person does it. So it, there is quite a lot of opportunity in, especially in the commercial building segment. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said 30%, that, that almost seemed low. I mean, because you just drive any downtown at midnight and you can see a lot of wasted energy. Now, now me, myself, I'm obviously in the office <laughs> at midnight, but us, else. us too, us too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen numbers anywhere from like 30 to like 60, 70% for, for wasted energy because stuff just runs around the clock. Based on use types, right? in, in the retail sector, for instance, they tend to operate those spaces continuously the same way as if the store was kind of full of people at noon and it's operated the same way at midnight. And it's because it's really difficult to operationally scale the efficient operation of that space. And so you're right, like that, that percentage of, uh, of opportunity actually is, is much higher depending on use types. Sam, what are your thoughts on what would need to be done um, from the grid side uh, to help further this initiative? So as we electrify, it's going to be hugely important to manage the load properly, especially in California and New York with these really ambitious goals. We're gonna have buildings start to switch over. Um, and we're, if we're not careful, we're gonna overwhelm the grids. So we need to be able to reduce the, the loads to as low as possible, um, be able to shift them, be able to integrate some kind of battery storage, solar, um, really just to keep the grid from collapsing. We've all seen some pretty scary events during the summers. Fortunately, nothing's happened yet, but it's going to be really critical that with this growing electrification that we make these changes. And you mentioned earlier about the policy. I mean, can you talk a little bit more about the impact uh, that some of the recent legislation has had on, on achieving these? So the, one of the biggest is New York's Local Law 97. It's the first really aggressive driver of electrification. Um, not specifically, it's a carbon emission limit rule. But as, these, as the grid gets cleaner, hopefully, and as our buildings electrify, they'll be able to take advantage of that in their carbon calculations going out to 2040. Also with the city, we've got laws regulating occupancy or lighting controls and building submeterings so we can really get a feel for what these smaller spaces are using. Broadly across the country, we are seeing more building benchmarking which is the first step to do these laws like Local 97 or Washington, D.C.'s version of it. So it's, re it's really getting there. Rachel, how has the response been from customers? Uh, and I'm talking more about kind of the cost side of it, right? Because it, it, with the energy transition, we see two different things. Is one, I'm all for the energy transition, but uh, I don't want to be paying a dollar more than I'm paying now. 
others are saying, I'm willing to pay a premium uh, if it helps the environment. So curious as to what the reactions are you're getting from your clients. We, we generally lead with the cost cutting side of things. So especially as we think about buildings and budget conscious buildings, one of the most important aspects of Mesa is that it's incredibly affordable and that it thinks of, you know, how do we save money from the first minute the product is installed? And so on that side, customers have been really happy. We've seen different customers care about different things. So there's certainly customers that care about the carbon cutting sustainability aspect, but there's also quite a few customers that care deeply about the operational savings because all of a sudden they're able to see different information across their building that they've never seen before. There's leak detection that helps prevent increased insurance premiums when like a huge leak would would occur, but with Mesa it doesn't occur. And so there's a lot of different value propositions that customers have resonated with, but all of them on some level go back to the the cost cutting. And we feel lucky in many ways that the, that our if when we're cutting carbon we're also directly cutting costs yeah absolutely with the energy efficiency that's all going to come down i mean all that i mean like we we're talking about earlier the the 30 somewhere up to 60 70 percent of wasted energy that's a significant cost reduction uh that people should be focused on so not only are they making an impact on the environment but they're also uh, achieving lower cost structure josh where where do you take the technology next how can you how can you scale it into other areas for for benefits to different industries or structures? Yeah, I think um, to kind of piggyback on what Rachel was saying, you know, one of the things where you know a key part of the platform is you know you install these kind of smart sensors, which gets us temperature, humidity, occupancy data. Um, it gets us um, we can get door window state, and from all that you can build a, a pretty compelling model of a building um, and kind of predict what it will will do in kind of a, in a certain time frame. Uh, but pretty quickly after that, folks kind of discover other use cases and other ways to improve the efficiency of spaces. So whether it's, you know, integrated cold chain management in a building or like Rachel's mentioning for uh, loss related to uh, things like leaks and flooding or, you know, in the retail context where they're curious for how the spaces themselves are being utilized. Um, it's like you have this kind of this platform of, of data. And then from that, you can uh, kind of infer uh, a bunch of other insights. Uh, and then when it, when it, where it really gets kind of supercharged is once you take that, that all that raw sensor data and start kind of putting it into into kind of the ML optimization system where you can start kind of correlating different things across different areas. Uh, and that's where it's like, you know, okay, we can predict the actual occupancy of a space in three days. How much heat will the people in that space add to it? Uh, how much would, does that mean you not have to run uh, the heating of that? And you really can start operating spaces in a much more uh, intelligent way. And, and honestly, I think the most exciting bit of it is you're really giving tools to kind of operators in these spaces. And they and they find just very, very novel things to do with it. So I, I think kind of the, the next phase of this is kind of, you know, we've been in kind of the smart buildings, you know, uh, tag word for a long time now. I think we're actually finally getting closer towards intelligence uh, where we're using these platforms to actually build like actual operational savings for folks. And, and that's it. That's really cool. And I assume the more data that you collect as you continue down the road, the better forecasting capabilities that you'll have. Yeah, 100%. Um, not only can you do more forecasting, but you can also start reducing the amount of sensors in a space. You know, I think initially the thought was you need this really, really dense kind of sensor mesh, which creates, you know, its own kind of operational uh, requirement around it. But now you can actually, using things like ML, say, like, you know, actually we can we can predict how one space will behave based on uh, the adjacent spaces next to it. Um, and now you can actually start to um, reduce the overall um, 
cost and kind of uh, burden of insulation. And but instead, what you get is actually a lot of uh, interesting data. Sam, looking forward, what are your thoughts on the overall impact this can have? As you mentioned earlier about relieving the stress or potential stress on the grid, um, what what do you see this being from an impact standpoint going forward? And is there anything else that needs to kind of be done to help, you know, drive the the less congestion on the grid? It's a little tricky to quantify, but it's going to have a huge impact if we can cut down 30% of wasted energy. We need to replace all of our older, inefficient pieces of equipment on time with um, new technology. Heat pumps are four times as efficient as your most efficient condensing boiler. Um, so we really need to do these with our mechanical and our envelope upgrades to make sure we're reducing the load as much as possible and, of course, saving money. If we can reduce demand charges, uh, which make up up to 50% of a customer's bill, it's a huge impact for getting these into buildings. If we load shift, reduce consumption, use energy storage, this is the most lucrative thing a building can do, um, even including other demand response opportunities. So using these occupancy patterns, um, equipment usage data, will be really important for buildings who previously just had thermostat data and who aren't using that very well. You know, it is interesting because, I mean, we've had a, a couple people on the show that have different aspects uh, that they're working on as it relates to energy efficiency, uh, whether it's in the, the food service industry, but, you know, just with the refrigerators where they can save money there and, and here buildings. But it, it just seems like this is one aspect that, that gets underreported. Uh, what, what do you think we could do to help drive this? Because, I mean, the, 30% in a, in a commercial building, like we were saying, that's an enormous amount that people need to be made aware of. Because again, it, it, it's a positive impact to the environment. It saves in the pocketbook. And it just seems like there needs to be more out there driving these types of decisions, not only in new builds, but existing older buildings that, that probably can even have a bigger impact given their inefficiency with energy. I, I, I think the way, the way I always kind of describe it, it to folks is that, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, energy efficiency isn't really the sexiest thing out there, you know, because it, it, it's, it's hard to kind of sell someone savings on something. Uh, but that's why I kind of think you have to kind of bring along this kind of broader portfolio capabilities. Right. You know, I think, you know, for folks who drive EVs, you know, it's it's nice, you know, part of the EV transition, but they also produce a lot of torque um, <laughs> uh, when you kind of put your foot down. And that's fun. Right. So I, I like to think of it as how can we bring kind of this. Uh, this kind of basket of superpowers to kind of spatial operators and to kind of spatial managers uh, along with the energy savings bit. Um, because ultimately, like, uh, what you'll find, you know, if you think about in terms of like incentive alignment, you know, if you are a tenant or, and you aren't responsible for energy costs, you know, how do you get interested in things like energy efficiency uh, when often you are the person who has to be kind of the, the agent, you know, driving that forward. And one of the ways you can do that is, is, well, what are the other things you can do to actually improve, you know, we, we overcool people in the warm seasons and we overheat them. That leads to, um, you know, occupant comfort, right? People are less comfortable in offices than they have to be. And we're, we're using a lot of energy to make people uncomfortable. And so I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, they may not be interested directly in the energy savings. But if you say you're going to get fewer temperature complaints from uh, your occupants, you're going to have longer uh, lifespan on your equipment because it's running less. You're going to have uh, higher reporting um insights for kind of this new level of reporting requirements and then all of a sudden you kind of package it all together and it's like okay wow now all of this stuff is actually working for me it's not just a, a checklist item it's actually something that you know it improves my ability to operate uh, operate the buildings because one thing you'll find is that you know 
any person you know, who, who's in that basement or in that rooftop, you know, they're outnumbered 100 to one in that building. So anything you can do to like improve their their existence, you know, that's that's a that's a win. And if you can get energy for, with that, that's even better. And how long is the process for when somebody says, Let, let's go, I want to move forward with, because there's obviously the hardware and the software aspect and getting it up and running, but, and I know it's going to depend on the size of the building, but roughly what's kind of the time scale? You, you can tell us that you want this right now and we'll get it to you for your whole building in, in about a week. Um, so you can basically be up and running, saving energy within two weeks. And a lot of the work behind Mesa, and we kind of say that it's savings made simple, is that most of the work that you'd have to do to install it and to set up sensors and to map it and to commission everything has been done before it even arrives at your building. So all you're doing is opening a box, for the most part, sticking sensors on the wall, plugging things in, and it's ready to go. You can open your dashboard and all the information's there. It's baselining. And it starts saving energy almost immediately. Yeah, your, your typical process for engineering, adding a control system takes months. You have design engineering, you have to get contractors involved. There's programming, there's installing, there's testing, there's other commissioning uh, before it finally gets up and running. So it could be months or for a larger building, a year, perhaps. Yeah, so that, that, that's obviously a big difference. Uh, Sam, do you think that this type of initiative is adequately incentivized uh, right now, or do you think that there's other things that that could be done? I mean, from the, the sounds of it, I mean, it's really a no-brainer, right? I mean, it saves you costs and it helps the environment. It should be something that's that's adopted widely. Uh, but is there anything from a really more maybe a policy standpoint that you think looking out one or two years that will help drive further adoption of this? I think the federal um, IRA tax credit is going to be really beneficial they have doubled the value of or more than doubled the value of tax credits for commercial buildings to up to five dollars a square foot um, which is really helpful if you can save up to 50 percent so you're saving money and you're reducing your tax costs um, it's a real win-win i think we do need some more utility investment in this um, to help drive adoption sometimes building owners don't know what they're looking for don't know what they need so um, utilities can help in that aspect by providing other additional incentives or at least um, information to push adoption. So Rachel, what, what other technologies are you guys working on at Mesa um, that are interesting? So overall, what we've been focused on is, is driving down the cost of cutting carbon and the cost of energy savings and the cost of saving money overall. So using technology to make something that's almost unaffordable to most buildings in the world and make it incredibly affordable. And that's the theme for everything we're working on. Overall, what that means is like we're continuing to build out the Mesa product to add more use cases, like we recently added air quality sensing and leak detection. But we're also trying to improve all of the savings optimization so that buildings continue to save more and more energy while making occupants more and more comfortable. Um, the other things that we're building out, I feel like are less, you know, le less like fun, but, but really helpful because they're tools for people to work more closely with their HVAC service providers and maintenance providers to really build that relationship so that some of those 
partners who help your building anyway can also help improve your space and cut your costs. We're building out tools for larger portfolios so that they can better understand all of their buildings across their portfolios. So most of what we're focused on is advancing the product that we have so that customers can save more energy and cut more costs, helping partners across buildings like HVAC maintenance and service providers use Mesa to save more money within a space, and then helping portfolios, real estate portfolios, cut costs across their portfolios. Um, like Rachel mentioned, I kind of put all of those operational things in kind of one big bucket of how do we deliver the product more effectively and how do we kind of give more and more capabilities to customers. Uh, in the other bucket and kind of huge area of investment for us is directly with the optimization engine itself. Uh, so as I kind of mentioned before, you know, we have all this sensor data within this space and we essentially use that to build. Um, it's not exactly a digital twin, but it is kind of a, a mirrored model of what that space does. And from that, we can make kind of predictions. And then from those predictions, you can kind of drive uh, optimizations, right? So an example is, you know, we historically know that if you don't see someone show up by a certain time, it may be a holiday, it could be a weekend. Uh, in order to do that, you really actually have to kind of observe a space for long periods of time. Uh, so we're really trying to invest in the, the ML and AI approaches that really lets us do really, really novel things to kind of get every bit of, uh, of savings and energy opportunity out of a building. Um, and then you can also start applying to things like fault detection for uh, how do we increase the lifespan of machinery, right? Because, you know, that's that's another huge thing folks are interested in. How can we detect when uh, machinery isn't performing as well, right? And so those kind of on the optimization engine side is an area that we're really putting a lot of a lot of effort into because, you know, the, the data is kind of is, is what it is. But we can kind of get a very, very long tail of utility from it uh, by improving those tools. And that's actually, and that's probably the thing that gets you kind of most excited because you realize you can kind of start synthesizing new things uh, with the existing assets. Rachel, you see in any um, greater adoption of this from a regional standpoint? I mean, I know we you mentioned California and, and New York, but are there any other areas where you're seeing a lot of momentum? It's pretty nicely spread. I mean, you definitely have your, as Sam was explaining, you have your like local law 97 regulatory cities that jump on it, but you also have a lot of places with either extreme weather swings or really expensive energy costs, or just frankly, what I would like to say, smart portfolio owners that just know that this is a really good way to cut costs and there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there. So we've we've definitely seen seen it pretty widely spread. And a lot of interest in Europe as well. Sam, are there any areas in the US that you would consider at a greater urgency or need? for this type of technology to be adopted in particularly the, the downtown type areas to help alleviate some projected grid issues uh, over the next few years? Maybe like a priority list? Um, I think it is really these cities that are aggressively targeting um, decarbonization, maybe not in the South or areas that are already really electrified. So maybe the Northeast and the Pacific where generally had a high either natural gas or fuel oil heating base. Um, we're seeing a lot of really aggressive electrification incentives for utility work in Massachusetts, in Maine to get heat pumps installed. So this would be really crucial for those small businesses to take advantage of, to minimize any kind of stress on the utility system out there. All right, Josh, I've got a, a broader question for you. 
the decarbonization targets that we have at like 2035 and 2050, what are your thoughts on them being achievable or realistic? Or are we on the right path? Or do you think a more aggressive stance needs to be um, had in order to help achieve those? Wow, no, no pressure on that one. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think one thing that I've been really surprised by is, you know, I think around the question of sustainability at scale 10 years ago, and I mean, people kind of, I, I hate to say they kind of laughed at you a little bit, right, where it was, it was viewed very much as a luxury, right? And I think even by sophisticated commercial operators, it was viewed very much as a luxury. And I'll say five years ago, you started to see kind of the early pioneers kind of asking interesting questions, are, are there better ways to do things? And now, you know, the, the rate of acceleration of work around this has really, really surprised me where you're seeing even, you know, folks that are not, you know, we're out here with these broad sustainability goals, but they're thinking of, we want to look across our whole portfolio at kind of better ways to do things. So I, I think the, the thing that gives me the most amount of optimism around this is the really the rate of acceleration of, of interest you're seeing where uh, large organizations or, you know, or organizations of all sizes are, are really saying, you know, are, are there things we can do to operate more, uh, more sustainably? Um, so if, if there is a, if there is a chance for it, I think there probably, there probably still is. It really is because we're seeing the acceleration. I mean, it's really interesting to see the multiple technologies that are, that are out there and coming together because a lot of people t just may think, okay, well, renewable energy, just have a wind farm or a solar panel and, and that's, and that's the energy transition, which is one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is because there's so many different aspects to the energy transition. I mean, we're, we're talking about the grid and the technologies and energy efficiency, not only for buildings, but restaurants and commercial industrial buildings. There's just so many things to it. And I always talk about being an equation where you can't go unbalanced on one side of the equation or else you got to catch up on the other. And so every little thing that we do impacts another area that needs to be addressed. And I think the past couple of years, go back maybe 10 years, that probably wasn't understood and as you said, there's a lot more activity over the past year or two. And I think it's because a lot of people are recognizing the different pieces and what, where it's going to impact and they're being addressed. And so you're starting to see a lot more momentum, which I think what we really need as we're trying to approach those 2035 and 2050 goals is we've, you know, for the past year, we've been saying we need to see more momentum. <laughs> like we need to see a little bit more action. It seems like we're starting to starting to see that. I think you hit a really good point, actually, which is like the... On the innovation side, you know, we've seen just, you know, one of the key parts of our system are these kind of wireless sensors that have, you know, 10 to 15 year battery life. And that technology didn't even exist, right, a decade plus ago. And so operationally, you know, operators were, were you know, reticent to deploy this kind of deep kind of sensing technology in spaces because, okay, every six months you have to go out and change batteries. And, you know, and there was a really, there was a lot of kind of um, technological pieces that had it kind of come forward. You know, we talk about a, like a heat pump journey, right? And, you know, it, it seems like a pretty old technology, but it's really been advancing a lot. And I think it's, like you're saying, all those pieces are coming together. The the technologies, the the actual sustainability practitioners are, are now in that kind of second phase of their careers where they actually have enough operational expertise to kind of deliver these solutions out there. And it's a, it's a really cool time because you're saying all the pieces are kind of showing up all at once. Sam, any other technologies that you're seeing being developed or that, that are kind of interesting? On a, on a larger scale, I'm really excited to see large-scale investment in replacing maybe natural gas infrastructure with thermal, thermal generation through large-scale heat pumps or heat sharing. Those are um, on the larger side. I think on the smaller side, we've really, we're really hitting the targets we need for um, 
controlling the buildings based on how they're actually used. We're leaving so much on the table if we're just operating as usual. Um, so beyond improving daily performance, I think we're, we're, we're going in the right direction. The cleanest energy is the energy that we're not creating or using. So it's really imperative that we drop our consumption as much as possible to you know, not use energy. So I guess I kind of messed that one up, but um, yeah, the cleanest energy is avoided energy. So energy efficiency, any kind of load shifting is really critical for enhancing the resilience of the grid. Well, in that case, you're coming from two, you know, burning a candle at two ends, right? Because you're bringing down the energy use and the requirement, be more efficient with it, but then also increasing the amount of renewable sources. So you're kind of coming, coming together to help achieve the goal at a faster pace. Well, Lisa, I, I appreciate you all coming on the show today. A really interesting discussion and appreciate your insights and really looking forward to see what uh, Mesa does in the future. Thank you. Thanks so much for doing this podcast in general, and not just with us. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to The Interchange Recharged. We're always interested in your feedback and suggestions for additional topics to have on the show. You can reach us at, at Interchange Show on Twitter. This is David Bandmiller. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time.